0: To Navigating Your Child's Education, a podcast for parents, grandparents, and anyone raising or influencing kids from preschool through high school. I'm your host, Laura, and today we will be exploring the topic of technology in education. Technology is now essentially part of the fabric of our world, and education is no exception to this reality. Technology was already a central component of modern education. Add in a global pandemic, and now it seems to be the very lifeblood of education. Yet this certainly raises a host of concerns for parents and students. What's the proper role of technology in education? What role do teachers now play? Is online learning the same as in-person learning when it comes to cognitive function? What effects will so much screen time have on this generation? What can we do as parents to help our kids navigate virtual schooling and establish and maintain a healthy relationship with technology. We have with us today four experienced educators that can shed some light on these questions and more. We have Troy McIntosh, a private school administrator with 27 years of experience in education. We also have Pam Kane. Pam has taught a myriad of technology classes over the last 13 years at a mid-sized private school. Prior to teaching, she worked as a technology consultant in the corporate world. We also have Mark Moussa. Mark has been in education for 24 years at a large suburban public school system. He's worked as an English teacher, assistant principal, principal, and he now works as an internship coordinator for high school seniors. Finally, we're joined by Kristen Brown. She's currently an associate dean at Northeastern Seminary and has worked with online higher education programs for the last 10 years. She's currently completing a PhD in education studies from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Let's get started. What I'd love to hear from you all first is this. How have you seen technology and education change and progress over the course of your career?
1: I started teaching in 1997, so I've been in education for 23, 24 years now. And when I started, um, Technology looked like a desktop computer on my desk. And if you were lucky, a printer in your hallway that you could uh, print off documents. Um, and we had email, but email was really only for internal use, internal use between teachers and between the office. And, and that was it. And then slowly over time, uh, we started to come online with external email where parents now used email as a primary way to communicate, definitely a preferred way to communicate with teachers. And I think that's because of the timeliness of it. Um, No longer did you have to leave a voicemail message and wait for someone to call you back and hope that you were at home. But email was an immediate way to ask a question. And usually you got a response within 24 hours. So that was a definite shift. And then probably in the past decade, what I've seen is we've now included students in that loop. So in my district, students are given devices, but they're also assigned a Google account where they have their own Gmail that they can communicate now with teachers and communicate with one another. And, you know, that brings them into the loop. So in addition to, to online attendance and online grading and just about every assignment can be turned in electronically now through through Google or through Microsoft Teams We have a lot of different tools at our disposal, but I would say the biggest trend now doesn't really involve the tools. It involves the teacher's responsibility in teaching students how, when, and why to use the tools at their disposal. Students already know how to use the stuff, but they don't know that in certain situations, one form of technology is a better use than another. And in some cases, students need to learn that In some cases, technology shouldn't be used at all, that maybe this needs to be a phone call or it just needs to be a face-to-face conversation. So I see teachers having a responsibility now to teach students how to use technology, not just to incorporate it and use it in their classrooms.
2: So one of the things to keep in mind when we think about technology and its effect on classrooms is that this isn't a new phenomenon. Uh, Technology has always affected Um, education and classrooms going all the way back to classical times whether that was uh, you know the invention of clay tablets um, the use of a stylus uh, the uh, invention and proliferation of the printing press there have been technological advances all throughout history most of that today we would consider low-tech and yet they still had this cumulative effect on the classroom what I think makes today so unique is the overwhelming rate of change in technology that's taking place. So I started teaching in 1994 and we had, uh, you know, one classroom uh, computer, a desktop that sat in the corner and nobody really knew how to use it um, uh, and uh, from 1994 until today, those 26 years, we've probably seen far greater change in technology than in the previous 2,000 years combined. And so that's really been the challenge for teachers um, is just managing that rate of change. Because as soon as a teacher becomes proficient in the use of one type of technology, uh, you know, and that may take a year or more uh, to gain that proficiency, uh, that uh, that technology may be outdated by the time they gain the mastery over it. And so that's a real challenge for teachers is just keeping up with the rate of change uh, a classroom technology.
0: Kristen, what's been your experience in higher education?
3: Yeah, I remember back uh, when I went to college and uh, 20 years ago, I went to college and we got a list of what to bring. And there was um, a spot where they said, what are you going to share with your roommate? And they recommended at least one of you bring a computer. And um, I don't know that they would make that same recommendation now. I think there is a little bit of an expectation that going to college means that you have technology, computer technology available to you, which I think is actually an assumption that we shouldn't be making. So I, I do think as we consider the rate of change in technology, there is a bit of an assumption that that everybody has access to technology, and everybody has a knowledge of how to use it, and that there's a sort of digital native that's um, moving into our college settings. And I have not found that to be true. So I, I, I agree with the idea of the rapid rate of change and that we need to be paying attention to that um, at, as we look at what education looks like today, but also to recognize that it changes differently for different people. And that access is still a big issue for
0: technology. Kristen, from your perspective and experience, what is the proper role of technology in education?
3: Yeah, I think technology um, opens up some doors. Um, It also closes some doors. And so I think paying attention to both sides of that is really important for education. I think living in the world that we live in today and, you know, recognizing the rapid changes that are happening in technology um, to best prepare students for lifelong learning We have to help them engage with technology to understand it, to understand how to use it, how to be critical about information that you gain um, and to to really learn how to live in the world as human beings in a world in which we engage with technology. So recognizing technology as a tool. I think educators can do a service by helping people to, to see technology, not just for entertainment, but as a tool that really intersects with a, a lot of our lives and to be intentional about the ways that we engage with it.
0: You mentioned that technology opens some doors and closes others. Can you explain that a bit more? Yeah,
3: I think one of the um, realities that we're seeing in the pandemic pandemic life that we're in everybody rapidly moved into online education overnight and what it did is expose some of the gaps in our cities and in some rural areas that don't actually have access to technology or high-speed internet um, in the ways that other people do so In a sense, technology used in education can create, if we're not intentional about it, can create haves and have-nots in terms of access to education. So as um, educational institutions, I think that's an important thing for us to remember, that we need to find ways for everybody to access learning, and that there is still a discrepancy today in what that looks like.
0: Mark, how have you seen that to be true? In your district
1: in my district we have um, students that have no internet access and students that have internet access at home faster than we do at school so there's everything across the spectrum it makes it difficult to use one mode and even that mode to be able to expect students to interact with you over a live stream at times, just isn't possible if the technology, the infrastructure is not there. Um, they have to watch things ahead of time. They can't ask live questions. They have to submit them on email, and there's just a delay. The biggest thing I've noticed is the lack of interpersonal connection. Teaching is designed to be a relational career, a relational field. Every teacher knows innately that they have to connect on a relational and personal level with their students. And if you ask a student, the teachers they like best are the teachers that they connect with on that personal level as well. Technology is not personal. You can see a picture, you can hear a voice, you can even do it live. But you have to take steps outside of that to really get to know your students and vice versa for the students to get to know the teacher. So that's probably the biggest negative. We can present information all day long, but technology does not help us build relationships.
0: Mark, you bring up a good point. Teaching is relational, and technology in a lot of ways, it it seems like it's a barrier to relationship, not a conduit. Keeping that in mind, and with so many students being in complete virtual learning at this point, or even in-person learning that's heavily influenced by technology, what is the role of the teacher in education in the 21st century, Troy?
2: Well, I I think one of the things we can all recognize is that educational technology is really good at some things. um, And it's not so good at other things. (laughs) And I think Mark has kind of uh, touched on that uh, a little bit. One of the things it's really good at is solving technical problems. Um, it's good at all of a sudden we're in a pandemic and we can't bring kids to school. We have a technical problem. How are we going to connect a teacher with a classroom of students? Technology allows us to do that. High tech solutions allow us to do that. Um, there are other things. And I think that, you know, what Mark touches on there, it, it's not that you can't have a personal connection over a zoom call or through a high tech solution. It just becomes more difficult. And there are biases built into that, that if, if you don't go into it recognizing them, it makes the challenge all the more difficult. So I think one of the things that a teacher today has to be able to recognize is uh, kind of starting backwards, right? Start, we, we talk with our teachers about starting with the end in mind all the time. Um, and what is it that you want to um, accomplish in a particular lesson, in a particular unit, identify that and then work backwards and decide which technology, whether it's low tech or high tech or no tech, which of those things best serve the purposes given the biases and the strengths and weaknesses of each particular technology and then choose that. Just because you have an interactive whiteboard in your class doesn't necessarily mean that's the best technology. Just because you have you know certain high tech instrumentation in a science uh, classroom, it may or may not be the best solution for that, but that's where it really becomes difficult for teachers because the technology is changing so quickly to learn the strengths and weaknesses of this technology that's constantly changing is a real challenge for for teachers today Troy,
0: you mentioned. That technology carries certain biases. Can you explain what you mean by that?
2: Sure. And by bias, I just mean you know s- strengths and weaknesses. So, uh, for instance, um, uh, as I mentioned, there there are certain technical problems that I think uh, high tech solutions are, are really good at solving. Uh, there would be no way that we could bring in uh, more than likely uh, a, Na- a scientist from NASA into an astronomy classroom uh, without technology. That allows us to do that. There are, you know, j- even the use of spreadsheets when we're collecting and analyzing data. That is something that technology is really good at. I think there are some adaptive challenges that technology is not as good at, or at least when I speak of technology, I, 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 I'm I, thinking mainly of high-tech solution, digital solutions, um, computers, uh, uh, networks, those kind of things. And so sometimes, I think, a, a paper and a pencil might be a better solution than a a laptop, a Chromebook, an iPad. That paper and pencil has certain biases and, and things to it. There's a tactile nature to it that uh, a, a laptop or an iPad may not have. Uh, when you look at a printed text, as opposed to a digital text, there are Biases built into that printed text you have the feel of turning a page to more easily identify Where in a book you are when you're reading it? you know if you're on page 55 of a 200 page book? That's There's that easier Perception than it is when you're on digital text and yet digital text offers things that a printed text can't so again you just need to be able to identify which solution offers the kind of advantages you think are going to be most effective given the outcomes that you want.
0: Pam, how do you approach your role as a teacher that specializes in technology?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. So I first want to talk about the fact that um, just a 21st century teacher, whether you're teaching technology or not, to me has changed quite a bit. If I think about how I was instructed in high school, um, my instructor had knowledge as an expert that they were um, getting um giving that information to the students, and typically that was a stand in front of the class and lecture, and the student took a note, and you got a test to make sure you memorized those notes, and when you were done with that class, you could check off that you had learned these particular skills. What I see different in the 21st century is that we're now facilitating learning. I I still should be the expert in the room, and I still have information I want to impart on my students, But I I find that I um, am more focused on inspiring them and engaging them and making them want to be part of the learning process. And a lot of times that uh, is in more project-based collaboration. How do they work with other people versus how do I just um, capture information that's being given to me directly? Um, I also love to find opportunities to work with other curricular areas, Um, teaching technology specifically, I can fall on STEM and there's tons of interactions with science and math um, where I can incorporate that in my classroom and now the student is getting a more connected education experience. And hopefully the goal is that they can then take that out into the world, into college, into their um, working environment and be able to much better apply the information than just I know my math facts uh, because I learned it in my algebra class. So I think that is a huge difference um, that not only I see in a specialized technology classroom, but I think a lot of teachers um, have found that change taking place. And the more that we can engage the students and they're part of their education and they're inspired, um, the better that they, they retain the information. Mark, you're also still in the classroom in various capacities
0: and you've been in administration. How do you approach the role of the teacher in the classroom now?
1: Pam hit the nail on the head. I I like to use the term coach. Um, I've also done coaching. But I really see the teacher more as a coach. Um, She mentioned inspiration. That is huge. But also just using the experiences that you have as a more mature, older person that has been around life and been around people a little bit more. Because the information is, I don't want to say it's no longer king, but students can Google anything they want and and they can find facts. But what they don't understand is how to apply those facts, when to use those facts, when to not use those facts. And that's what they really need that mentor, that teacher, that coach to come alongside of them and to share with them, you know, this is an appropriate setting to use that. I, I think about what Troy just said about biases. We learn bias through experience, and the students need teachers more than ever to guide them about appropriateness, audience, context. All of these things come with with living life and, to be honest, screwing it up. And that's where I think technology—I've had some of my greatest moments, just being honest with students— and saying, you know, I really don't know how this is going to work. We're going to try this in whatever tool it is. And it may work. It may not. But I really need your feedback. I want you to tell me, you know, how this works. And then you talk a lot about outcomes. You talk a lot about goals. And you're working together. But it takes a humility, I think, now with teachers who are willing to be open with their students. And and simply say, I may not be the expert in everything, I'm willing to work with you and I'm willing to help you so that we can figure this out together. I see that more and more, particularly with, with older students in the high school setting where I am. Um, obviously, it's a little different in the elementary school setting and even middle school setting where students need to learn routines. They need to learn habits and they still are looking to that teacher, that mentor, that coach to do those things. So the role of the teacher is, is not just the information giver. They are really that role model that students can look up to to see how to navigate life and, and use these tools effectively.
0: Hi parents, I just want to take a minute and let you know about a free guide to paying for a private Christian education. Perhaps you're curious about sending your children to Worthington Christian School, but assume the cost is prohibitive. Before you rule it out, I encourage you to check out worthingtonchristian.com forward slash afford WC to download a free guide to our financial aid program, 529 accounts, Ohio's Ed Choice scholarship program, and more. That's worthingtonchristian.com forward slash afford WC. Now back to our show. Kristen, part of your responsibility in your job is to help professors develop meaningful online classroom content. How would you define a meaningful virtual learning experience?
3: That's a great question. And it is one that we talk about a lot. Uh, what does it mean to do meaningful learning in a, what we often talk about is a distance way, um, in a way that When the student and a a professor are not in the same space, physical space. So uh, the comment earlier that technology is not good at relationships is true because technology doesn't have that capacity. People have that capacity. So people are good at relationships or can be good at relationships. And the question for us in thinking about technology and our use of technology, especially for a kind of distance education or online education, if that's the the route it takes. Uh, The question is really, how do we become good at facilitating relationships across a distance? And there's been actually a lot of study of that in higher education. And there's a model that has been very popular um, and has been studied a lot. It's called the Community of Inquiry Framework. And they started doing this actually as a text-based back when, you know, Distance education was really correspondence courses. They said, what makes an effective teacher and an effective learning environment? And they talked about three different kinds of presence. So you have your teaching presence where you have a sort of lesson that is set up and designed for learning. And you have um, sort of a, a content presence where there is something, a cognitive presence that we are going to be going through this together. And then they have this third presence called the social presence. And I think that's a lot of what we're trying to get at when we're talking about the need for relational educational spaces. And so actually on our campus, even during the pandemic, I know social distancing has been the language that A lot of people are using and we don't use that we talk about physical distancing and the need to keep space between us, but the need to have social presence. And what we mean by that is what does it really mean for other people to understand and and meet us as human beings, not words on a page, not just a profile picture, but how do we communicate that we're real people in a time and place and we're connecting to other real people in a time and place. So we have strategies around how we help faculty to do that and to sort of set up their courses from the beginning for success in really creating collaborative learning environments where people join together in a team of learners, not just individually, but as a collective. And you can see learning grow together over time. So we do a lot of collaboration, project-based and uh, group-based learning. And all of that can be facilitated. Across a distance, you don't all have to be in the same place together. And to the points that have been made previously, you know, we're talking a lot about the high tech kinds of technology, but I think this question relates all the way uh, through all kinds of technology. I think about Paul and the letters that he wrote to the churches where he is communicating himself and he's communicating the gospel to people across a distance and That has always been a part of what what learning looks like. And I think how we do that today might look different than, you know, sending letters, circular letters to churches. But the principle is the same, that there are ways to communicate who we are as human beings across the distance. And we just need to invest the time in learning how to do that well.
0: Screens are used for more than just education nowadays. There's a huge influx in social media use and that kind of thing. Is it important to teach students the difference between technology for entertainment and technology for education, Pam?
4: Yeah, I think that's a great point to make. Um, The fact that I teach technology, I have found over the years that parents as well as students that come into my classroom have a predisposed um, opinion on their skill set and technology, their approach to technology. And I think it's due to the fact that when we first introduce technology to young children, it's in a play game type environment, which is great. It makes it fun for them. They're not hung up on the medium and how they're doing it. um, And they get accustomed to technology without even realizing that that's what they're being taught. But that continues on. And when they come into my classroom, there's a very casual approach to technology. And I think that lends itself to being less focused. Um, your mind is not as conducive to learning and I often have had parents say you know Johnny should get an A in your class because they're on their cell phone and their computer all the time and what I try to help the students and the parents understand is that's a different kind of use of technology that's for entertainment that's social and I'm sure they're very good at that probably better than I am. Um, but I'm here to teach them an academic use of the technology, and your your child is going to have to approach it like a science or a math class or any other um, classroom environment where they're going to have to focus, and they're not going to um, they they can't approach the tool as if it's a toy, and they're not in the room to play; they're in the room to learn. And this this technology is going to help us learn. We're gonna we're gonna learn about technology, and we're gonna use technology to aid us in that. Um, learning, but they've got to get a, a mindset shift in the fact that this isn't casual, this isn't play, this isn't social. We are now not using the technology for entertainment at school. We are um, learning how to use this technology for academic use.
0: Mark, what do you say to the parent who has a fourth grader that has an assigned Chromebook from school on which they're supposed to complete all of their classwork and homework? And parents perhaps concerned about whether or not the child is using the Chromebook for the actual classwork or perhaps for a more casual purpose. How can parents navigate that?
1: Well, as a parent, I would say that parent is 100% right. The child is using the Chromebook for um, both educational and social and entertainment purposes. Um, That's what that tool is designed to do. And I would let the parent know that your instincts are right. And it comes down to boundaries. It comes down to how are we training our children and our students to use these tools. It's an educational tool when you're working on schoolwork. When you're not working on schoolwork, it becomes um, a distraction. Same way as our phones. We use our own personal cell phones to communicate to our wives, to our loved ones um, on business calls. But most of the time, let's be honest, we're sitting there playing a game or we're looking at Facebook or we're, we're getting ready to order lunch through a new app. So we do the same things as adults. So I would say if you're talking to your student, number one, involve the teacher, make this a three-way conversation, not a two-way conversation, and talk about boundaries. How, how long should this assignment take? And it's ballpark because every child's a little bit different. But if you can go in as a parent with information that that teacher in fourth grade normally is giving about 30 minutes of homework a night, then you talk to your child about you're allowed 30 minutes to work on this schoolwork and then we're going to put the Chromebook away and we're going to do something different. We're going to shift gears. I am not a fan of pulling the technology away and saying you're not going to use that give it in short bursts. Allow the student, if they want to have some fun, if they want to play a game on it, you as a parent dictate that. It's the same way we do with our 16-year-olds when they want to take the car out. We're the ones that hold the car keys, and we give the car keys out, and we tell them when to be home. Technology is gradual release, just like anything else we do with our children. You gradually give them a chance to prove themselves, to prove that they know how to use it, and when they don't, You reel them back in and you say, okay, um, this hasn't worked. I need to instill some more rules. And as they have successes, then you release a little bit more and you say, okay, you've proven yourself. Now you can have your Chromebook um, for an hour instead of just 30 minutes because you are getting your work done and your grades last nine weeks were very positive. The other thing I would suggest to parents, have a designated space in your house for work. Do not let the student take it up to their bedroom have a space in the kitchen at the dining room table where they are, are working on schoolwork. And then when it is time to play, you know what? Let them take the Chromebook up to their room and they can play a game or maybe chat with their friends. But separating that out by space is also really, really important to do as a parent. The advice I would give is be the parent. Set those parameters, set those boundaries, and don't let a technology scare you into doing that.
0: Kristen, you have a wonderful perspective from a higher education standpoint. What do you think that parents with kids K to 12 should keep in mind as they're navigating virtual schooling or wrestling with questions of in-person versus online schooling? What's important for parents to keep in mind? Education is a journey that we are
3: on and that our, um, our children are on and that any any given moment is a moment for learning. And so some of that will be informal settings, like in the virtual learning that's offered in K-12 right now, or um, different elements along that. A lot of learning is informal, and that's an important aspect for parents to keep in mind, that um, just because the learning is taking place in a different way in a formal setting doesn't mean that the informal learning has to change in it in a way as we spend more time together in um, our pandemic life we're we're rubbing into each other a little bit more so as parents can model good um, good use of technology and good lifelong learning skills for their kids that's a something that they can actually pick up right now learning at home that they maybe wouldn't get to pick up in the classroom in the same way. So I think that there are opportunities that are provided right now if we will take them and think about how to how to do this well as whole units Um, and whether that is a family unit or whether that is a group of people that are doing virtual learning together in sort of a pod setting. I know some of that is happening as parents are having to go back to work and yet kids are learning online. There's a lot of ways that we're doing education right now that are different than we've done in the past. And we're going to continue to be seeing how that goes as we move forward. Um, But my encouragement would be to parents to, to remember that, um, education that you've been doing with your kids over time is still paying off. And um, as they grow up and have gotten to spend this time with you, I think they'll continue to see the fruit of that
0: for the long term. Troy, as a school administrator and a former elementary teacher, what can parents do to support their children on this journey that perhaps is based in virtual learning?
2: Yeah, so the mood of virtual learning obviously has not just presented challenges to teachers as as Mark and Pam would be able to attest, but obviously it's presented challenges to parents as well who are trying to uh, help their, uh, their child through you know, very different learning experiences. It, nobody knows a child better than the mom and dad, right? So I think as um, a, a parent tries to help their child kind of navigate virtual learning. And I would say that, you know, the kind of the virtual learning that we're in now because of the pandemic is really different than the use of technology in a regular classroom that we hope to all be back to uh, at some point in the near future. So they're kind of two different animals. But for the, that parent that's trying to um, help their child through what they're in right now, understand what is their child what's their personality like? Because I think each student reacts to online learning differently based on their personality. Again, that goes back to the biases that a certain technology has. It's a better fit for some students than it is for other students. Some students can do all online learning and excel, and it's a great experience for them. And others are dying on the vine trying to do uh, online learning. And so... I think one of the things that the parent can bring is an understanding of that particular child. What, if they're really having a difficult time with it, why is that? Is it because they don't have the social component of education? They're not seeing their friends. They're not having conversations in between the hallways or, you know, even during the classroom. If so, maybe that parent can help that student make some connections while they're away from class. If the issue is they don't have the contact with the teacher that they might have, perhaps encourage that student to reach out maybe during a time when the, the teacher has office hours, you know, on virtual office hours, and they can uh, discuss a particular problem that they're having. So I think that as much as the, the, the parent knows and understands the student and can understand how that's affecting their relationship to kind of online learning, and provide some help, support, supplement uh, for those students. I think that would be very effective. Uh,
4: One piece of advice that I would give parents is, um, especially as things have changed in virtual learning and now parents are uh, playing the role of a teacher somewhat as well as the parent, um, just the general life skills of, of helping a student work through an environment that might not be comfortable, that might be different than what they expect the ability to critically think and say, well, you know, I did it this way in the classroom and I'm still being asked the same thing, I'm just in a different environment. How do I need to change to do that? How can I um, teach my child to be flexible in a situation? How can I teach my child to have grit or stick to it-ness? Because I, I often see as a teacher, a student, especially with the fact that technology is a tool that makes things easier and faster, Often a student would then want it to be done for them. And they want me to perhaps say, click on this and type this. And when I say, okay, now I've taught you how to do that. You apply it. They they kind of step back and, and freak out a little bit. Um, there's another tool that we want them to use besides the technology. We want them to continue to use their brain and to apply whatever's being taught to them to a new situation. And so I think parents can help um, their their students just in general with being flexible and being able to um, apply what they know and their gifts um, into any situation and, and just work outside of maybe their comfort zone? When
2: I taught second grade, one of the things that I noticed was um, there was a real difference between how some students approached language arts, reading, writing, literacy, and how they approached math. And um, some students that were really good readers and writers and loved that activity just could not stand math. And I, I think it went beyond just cognitive ability in those two areas. And there was some research uh, that I uh, was reading at the time that showed for students that have... Um, High interpersonal skills. That's really that's kind of their their uh, a, a language that they speak. It's something that is is really meaningful and important to them. Well, their first experience with language was sitting on mom or dad's lap while they read a book, while they sat around the dinner table and had conversations about how their day was, what they were excited about. But when it came to math, it was sit at the sit at their desk and grind out problems. And so one of the things that I always try to encourage my par- uh, parents in my classroom to do is when if your child is really struggling in math, um, rather than having them sit at the table, just have them sit on your lap while you work through these problems. Yeah, this, these were young kids. These were six years old, seven years old. But I think the same thing can be applied with particularly young students, first grade, second grade, even kindergartners who are trying to do uh, online school right now. Is uh, try to um, uh, put some humanness <laughs> to the uh, technology. Uh, and, and maybe it means that, again, you, they do their Zoom meeting with their 20 minute Zoom meeting with their teacher when they're sitting on the couch next to you. Um, uh, or, uh, you know, once that meeting is over, find a way for them to connect with you or a brother or sister while they're working on an assignment offline that provides some of that human connection that they may be missing. But again, that's an area where mom and dad, you know your child the best, and if that is, if that is something that their personality craves, they really desire, then I think you can find ways even in a high-tech setting to provide that
1: for them. One tip, just as, as Pam and Troy were talking, this is a very practical tip, and my name is Mark and I'm your friend, and I'm also a parent, so I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. I honestly believe one of the downfalls of technology is immediate communication. It's particularly in the realm of education. And parents and students don't always need to know immediately once they've completed an assignment the grade that they earned. And I think sometimes the best thing parents can do is maybe not check their grades every day, maybe not look on Teams and see how things are going. Allow the student the natural time to go through the process of learning and making mistakes and figuring things out and then circling back. And, and they're not going to fall through the cracks. We have safety nets built in. But sometimes I think we as parents increase the stress on our students when there's this, I can immediately look and see how I did on that test I took an hour ago, or I can immediately check and see if that test I took moved my grade up, moved my grade down. There was a reason why school only had report cards every nine weeks because they were they were nine-week checks. And we have to allow our kids the freedom and the time to make mistakes naturally and then to build and correct those mistakes. And I know as a parent, sometimes I make the mistake of, always looking to see what was that grade? Was that assignment completed? It's not my job to make sure that my child is getting their assignments done. It's my child's job to make sure that they are getting their assignments done. And technology and automatic communication really complicates that. And my advice to parents is take a step back and if you are monitoring, allow the child, and as Pam said, she used a great word, grit allow the child the opportunity to develop some of that grit and some of that perseverance on their own. And that would just be one other bit of advice I would give.
0: There is a wide range of sentiment toward technology. Some people are intimidated, some are cynical, others are all in. As parents raising the next generation, what is a healthy way to approach technology with our kids? What kind of framework can we provide for them through which they can engage with technology?
3: I identify myself as a
0: technology realist, not
3: a optimist or a pessimist about technology. And I think I say that simply because I, technology is here with us um, and, and our Our job, I don't think, is to say be pro-technology or anti-technology, but to say, how are we using this? How are we thinking critically about it? How are we helping our kids to think critically about it as they grow up with smartphones and tablets and Internet? How are we remembering our own humanity in a world in which high tech is sort of growing all around us. And I think um, sort of the, the continual reminder that we are able to use technology and that it can be a benefit to us and that we should never let it be something that controls us or that um, that is a detriment to us. So putting up our own boundaries and reminding ourselves that we get to make some choices And so making really intentional choices about our use of technology, I think allows us to live in a world in which we can gain the benefits of the the connection and collaboration that can happen using technology, but also to recognize that we don't have to take more of it than we want at any time. We can always put our phones down. We can always go outside and have our outdoor PE class for the afternoon. We can um, decide that our phone is gonna live in the living room at night and not next to our beds, right? And we should start making choices about that so that we can live in a world in which we can sort of coexist with technology and still be fully
0: human people. Troy, Pam, Mark, Kristen, thank you for lending your voices and your expertise on a topic that impacts all of us. And thank you for joining us as we discuss technology and education. A new episode of the Navigating Your Child's Education podcast will be published on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Make sure to subscribe so that the latest episode shows up in your preferred podcast library.